You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Becks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's November 5th. So far, it looks like the Biden administration is sticking with the same approach as its predecessors when it comes to addressing North Korea's nuclear ambitions. The current strategy, often called maximum pressure or strategic patience, uses crippling economic sanctions, theoretically to coerce North Korea into giving up its nuclear arsenal, which is a precondition for other negotiations. According to a new paper by Rand's David Schlepak, this strategy has repeatedly failed, and there's no reason to believe it will succeed under new U.S. leadership. Quote, Continuing to focus on the unachievable goal of convincing North Korea to surrender its nuclear weapons can only confuse and complicate the very real strategic challenge of managing a nuclear-armed North Korea. Instead, the U.S. should focus on deterring Pyongyang from using its nuclear weapons to attack or coerce other states, and on negotiating to control further development of its arsenal. Schlepak calls the negotiation strategy he's proposing something for something, which would require that both the U.S. and North Korea make a meaningful but reversible gesture in the other's direction. The idea is to pursue more mutually agreeable bargains toward the ultimate goal of reducing the North Korean nuclear threat and maintaining peace on the Korean peninsula. But as Schlepak acknowledges, shifting to this something-for-something approach will require an uncomfortable and dramatic reversal of U.S. policy toward North Korea. U.S. leaders will have to accept, and be willing to deal with, the reality of a nuclear-armed North Korea. Sexual assault and trauma has deep and broad roots in the military. Let's not just pluck a few leaves and trim the branch. Let's deal with this from the roots. Please make it stop. That was Bridgette McCoy, a former Army specialist and a sexual assault survivor, testifying at a 2013 congressional hearing on sexual violence in the U.S. military. McCoy's plea is consistent with what years of evidence from RAND research has shown. To prevent sexual misconduct, the military needs to do more, do it better, and do it now. RAND research has revealed the prevalence of this problem. For example, one study estimated that 8,000 service members left the military in a 28-month period after they were sexually harassed. Around 2,000 more left after an assault. Our analyses have also shown that almost half of military sexual assaults target lesbian, gay, or bisexual service members. And importantly, one recent report outlined potential solutions, including the need for a full-time military staff whose sole focus is preventing sexual assault and harassment. Bold actions like this will be required to get at the root of the problem, as Brigitte McCoy and so many others have called for. Anything less, to take her metaphor to its logical conclusion, may run the risk that military sexual assault and harassment will only grow back. The U.S. workforce is 4.3 million people smaller than it was before the pandemic and millions more appear to be quitting their jobs and looking for something better, as evidenced by a record 3% of the labor force that resigned their jobs in August. And why not? On the last day of August, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there were an incredible 10.4 million open jobs. 
One way to understand what's happening in the labor market right now, says Rand economist Catherine Edwards, is to look at the historic work choices of married mothers. Multi-level marketing companies, or MLMs, have long been attractive options to stay-at-home moms who are looking for income with flexibility. With MLMs, there's no office, no commute, no hours to clock in. According to Edwards, the fact that MLM positions are so appealing to mothers says a lot about the failings in the labor market to support that kind of work for everyone. Put another way, there's a hole in the labor market. There are not enough opportunities for part-time work outside of low-paid service jobs, which are often associated with unpredictable scheduling, a lack of flexibility, and no guarantee of work. So, it appears that millions of American workers are now echoing what married mothers have been saying for decades as they try to balance work and childcare. The working conditions of many jobs, especially part-time jobs, are simply not worth the pay. The UN Climate Summit, COP26, kicked off in Glasgow this week. Benjamin Preston, director of RAID's Community Health and Environmental Policy Program, contributed to the conference, discussing the progress made so far in limiting global warming and the challenges that lie ahead. Importantly, Preston pointed out that, at a fundamental level, What's needed to address climate change hasn't changed much. The world needs to aggressively reduce its emission of greenhouse gases, including scaling up the use of renewable energy technology like wind and solar, divesting in legacy fossil fuel assets, electrifying buildings and transportation, and continuing to develop techniques to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Progress has been made on all these fronts, he said. But of course, there's much more to be done, and it must be done quickly. It's also important to remember that many people are already feeling the effects of climate change. Here's Preston. We cannot forget that many people around the world, even in wealthy countries such as the United States, are already facing the adverse effects of climate change. Moreover, those impacts are not born equally. Low-income populations, communities of color, and marginalized groups often bear the first and most severe impacts of climate change, often due to results of pre-existing vulnerabilities and inequities. He went on to say that adaptation planning will be essential to help these vulnerable populations address future climate change-related risks. And on that note, Preston and his RAND colleagues are nearly done with a project that examines environmental hazards through an equity lens. We'll share that research with you soon. After a short pandemic-related pause, huge numbers of migrants have resumed arriving at the U.S. southern border. In fact, 1.7 million migrants were encountered crossing the border in the last 12 months, the largest number in a single year since at least 1960. Additionally, the U.S. has taken in tens of thousands of refugees from Afghanistan this year, and a string of disasters has brought thousands from Haiti to the Texas-Mexico border. With numbers like these, some U.S. schools, which I should note are required by federal law to educate all children in the U.S., are seeing surges of undocumented and asylum-seeking kids. So, how are they dealing with it? A recent RAND report shows that school districts are not funded or staffed adequately to support these vulnerable students, many of whom don't speak English, are living in impoverished households, or may be dealing with trauma. School districts need more help, including increased funding, new approaches to instruction, and better teacher preparation. 
After all, the arrivals aren't slowing down anytime soon. And without some changes, RAND researchers say that we're setting up schools and kids to fail. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. We'll see you next week.